Hi, I'm Nick, and you are listening to the Niche Aviation Podcast. I'm on a quest to learn more about unusual and interesting aviation businesses, and every week I will share their stories with you. This week I spoke to Sanjeev Gadia, who is the founder of Astral Aviation. Astral Aviation is a cargo airline based in Kenya. They have been successfully operating for the last 20 years and have an incredibly diverse fleet of aircraft. I can honestly say this has been one of my favorite episodes to record, and so I really hope you enjoy it. I've listened to a number of podcasts, and what I found really interesting, actually, is is your background. Um, so maybe if we just, just if you can just walk me through that. Uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, first of all, I'm truly grateful for uh, having the opportunity of being in your podcast, for being in your show. And uh, my earlier background uh, started off uh, when I was uh, in England from 1985 to 1990, uh, when I actually spent five years uh, as a student uh, pursuing my university degree. So I studied at a university called Schiller International University, which is based out of London. And I did a degree in, uh, I did my bachelor's degree and my master's degree over the four year period. And I specialized in international business and banking. So as soon as I finished my degree, I decided to work in the city for one year as an investment banker. So I was very privileged to have uh, got a job with Chase Manhattan Bank. And I actually had a uh, a great start uh, in my career working for one of the finest American banks in the world. But uh, to be honest, I really did enjoy it. So after that, I decided to come back to Kenya uh, and I, I decided to work for a few companies before I decided to go into my private business. So in the earlier stages, I only became an entrepreneur uh, at, at the age of about 24, uh, when I decided to start up a procurement business where we were actually doing procurements for the United Nations. And we were very lucky, Nick, because we had a lot of uh, hotspots surrounding Kenya. We had uh, Somalia, which was on fire. You had uh, Sudan, which had a very big uh, crisis because of the drought. And then you also had uh, sections of the DRC and Rwanda, which were also in various types of problems. So the Procurement business started doing very, very well, and uh, we decided. Sorry, just to... on that, is why did you why did you pick the procurement? Were there a number of ideas, or why did you specifically pick procurement? Yes, I think that's a very good point because uh, when I looked at all the opportunities that were there, there was obviously the manufacturing sector, the retail sector, uh, and, and I actually decided that I wanted to do something which would be different. And it was uh, quite quite a unique opportunity because it, it, it's, it's very similar to trading in goods and in products and commodities. So what actually happens is that uh, the business comes from the UN and, and you have to have a competitive uh, supplier who can actually supply through you. And then immediately after that is done now, you can actually now arrange for the delivery of the cargo from the factory to the airport or to the port. And that's where there was a missing link uh, because there were no aircrafts uh, of, of the type that were required to fly to Somalia and Sudan. And that's when we realized that if we had uh, an aircraft which could carry the same cargo from the airport to the destination, then they would have, we would have a bigger chance of actually getting more business 
So the first thing we actually did was we actually decided to get uh, an antenna of 12, which uh, 20 years ago, Nick, was so easy to find because you could actually oh, literally really? get you could literally get a hundred of them because these, oh, are, wow. uh, these were all aircrafts which were decommissioned and, and uh, they were no longer flying uh, you know and, and a lot of them were 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 given a certificate of airworthiness to fly commercially so it in, in uh, the late part of 1998 and 1999 when we were starting to look for aircrafts uh, we actually felt that uh, in the the best aircraft to get for an airline startup would be to get the Eton of 12 because the cost is cheap. It can actually fly anywhere and it can actually land in any place. So we had a lot of flexibility because these were aircrafts which were wet leased. So what we decided to do was uh, to actually get uh, uh, initially a pair of two Eton of 12s and uh, we started our journey as an airline with uh, a pair of uh, Armenian-registered Antonov 12s, which we operated in Kenya. And then we started increasing our fleet up to a point that, that at one time we were actually operating 10 Antonov 12s in our oh, fleet. wow. And that continued for a That's period amazing, of eight though, years. To, I know you said it was it was easy to get the Antonov 12s, but... But you didn't have the internet there, and I'm, I'm I'm sure there's no like book saying call these operators. How did you go about finding the first ones? Did you go to the airport, or how did it work? Uh, so we were very lucky because uh, my partner at that time uh, had uh, certain aviation contacts in Dubai. Now I don't know if you remember, but uh, about twenty years ago, Dubai was actually the uh, uh, hub for a lot of Russian uh, entrepreneurs, businesses. Uh, airlines and whenever anybody had something to reach out to Africa if they actually were in Dubai and had a presence over there that it would be very very easy and uh, my partner also had a Ukrainian wife so uh, the whole process of language and communication became a lot more easier and I must give her credit for actually getting us the first uh, set of the Anton of 12s because it actually made the whole process of communication very easy because the biggest problem that you would actually have with a Russian aircraft owner is communication so in, in the case uh, we were very lucky because it was a a really easy process. Uh, we had uh, sufficient funds to pay for the deposit, and you know when when you look at the when, at the earlier days of acquiring Russian aircraft, you didn't need too much money. Now at that time, twenty years ago, if I were to go for a Boeing seven three seven, you would need a couple of million dollars to get started. So with a little amount of cash that we had, we were able to start the journey of an airline with a pair of Antonov 12s and it, it was really fantastic because we had the best crew, we had the best uh, aircraft supplier and he made sure that he provided us backup. And what we did, Dick, which is very interesting is that we never leased our aircraft from anybody else. We made sure that we leased the aircraft from the same leasing company for the full period. And that, that was a sign of our loyalty and commitment to him because you typically have people who jump from one supplier and one leasing company to the other. And when we discovered that this company is there to back us up, it actually worked out very, very well for us. And I'll just tell you a very interesting story, Nick, that uh, we were working with this leasing company, which uh, was uh, run by a gentleman called Eager Avdiv. 
And what is so special about him is that uh, he became like family. So when he used to come to Kenya and he used to come home, he used to bring gifts for the family. And you know, my neighbors used to tell me, please make sure you don't bring him home because you know this guy must be connected to the Russian mafia. And if you don't pay him, that will be the end of you. And you know, the amazing thing is that we are, we are still friends. And eager son, while we were actually leasing the aircraft from him, he managed to save up money to send his son to university in the U.S. The son graduated. Uh, he worked as a charter broker. And now he's actually a director of uh, a charter brokerage company. And he's one of our customers. So you can actually imagine oh, wow. that we have actually got two generations of doing business just because of the fact that we believed in eager. And he was also starting up his uh, journey as a uh, an airline uh, leasing uh, aircrafts to companies in Africa and he's retired now but we still keep in touch and I have such high regards for him and and I think there are certain principles that we adopted uh, either out of uh, luck or out of our circumstances and if we and we continue to believe in that and even today when we lease our aircrafts we're very particular very selective and once you lease an aircraft to us it's actually a relationship which goes beyond the aircraft we we have a a lifetime relationship and uh, the aircrafts that we continue to operate, uh, the companies that we are working with, we've actually worked with them for over 10 years now. So in the early 2000s, you used the Russian aircraft and then um, I believe it was in 2009, you moved across and you started using the, the DC-9s. Can you just talk me through that? Yes, absolutely. The first uh, eight years were paradise. It was like a honeymoon. <laughs> we had uh, <laughs> a, a fantastic uh, uh, business plan. Uh, we had uh, we were only operating charters, so we were doing charters for the UN. We were doing a lot of project cargo for mining cargo. We were doing a lot of projects for perishables, uh, and also a lot of aid and relief. Uh, during that time of the end of twelves, we also were very lucky because we got a contract from the WFP to do airdrops. Uh, in in, uh, in Sudan, and uh, this was perhaps the largest humanitarian operation in the world, which was actually done under the auspices of Operation Lifeline Sudan, uh, which transported food by air to a very large population in the southern part of Sudan uh, because of the conflict. So we were very uh, privileged to use the Antonov-12s as a low-cost alternative to the Hercules aircrafts, and we were able to transport food. And I have really good memories of the first eight years because it's like the best times uh, of our life, and uh, we really were doing very, very well. And then the civil aviation decided uh, to now uh, end the era of uh, operating wet-leased aircrafts, whether it's from Russia or from any other region, and they came up with a total ban. So what we decided to do was to return the aircrafts back. And it's a, it's a really sad moment when you see the crew who have actually worked and lived and they've actually worked so well with us to go back to Ukraine and go back to Armenia. And uh, we sort of, you know, uh, it, it, was a, it was a part of our life where we had to move on to the next phase. And the next phase was very tough because we were operating yeah, aircrafts which were totally different uh, from the Antonov 12s. You know, they, this, these are aircrafts which... Uh, were very unique. It had had certain uh, operational uh, challenges. And uh, what we had to do was we had to actually now go through the journey of getting uh, 5Y, which are the Canadian registered aircrafts in our fleet. So we were also very lucky because we met a, a leasing company which had three 
of the DC-9s. And, you know, we actually felt that the migration from the Antonov-12 to another aircraft would be very difficult unless we got an aircraft that would be very easy for us to get into. So we had to start the airline from afresh because we had to start our processes. We had to recruit crew. We had to get the whole uh, system uh, in place. And it's been really uh, a good journey because we were able to meet the requirements of the civil aviation and the regulatory approvals. And it was at that moment in time, we also got designated a national carrier. So that's when we realized, uh, Nick, that uh, we had a great honeymoon for eight years operating charters. And one of the things we decided to do was to actually go into scheduled flights because we believe that when you operate scheduled flights, it gives you the foundation which is very important to actually make sure that your aircrafts are always flying. Because the problem with the charter business is that you have times when the aircrafts are on the ground and there's no work. But when you have scheduled flights, you're always flying. And then in between, if you get a charter, you can still be able to manage that. So that that journey was uh, quite good because the whole shift from the Antonov 12 to the DC-9 also enabled us to shift or change our business model from being a charter airline to being a scheduled airline. That's a big, brave step because when you become a scheduled airline, you take that risk of actually this flight could be loss-making and we we could be flying this plane empty, big, but we have to do it because it's part of the schedule and it needs to come around. Was it, was it, was it scary at the time? Very, very scary because the problem with the schedule business is that you burn a lot of cash. And a lot of airlines can actually end up operating scheduled flights to routes which are very thin. So we were very lucky because one of the first routes that we started flying to with the Antonos was to Bonza, which is uh, a town in western Tanzania, which had a number of very large mines. So when we were looking at the scheduled network, the first box was Bonza. So we said, okay, fine. So we've got our first destination. Let's go for it. <laughs> Uh, so Nairobi Mwanza actually became our first destination because it was such an easy pick. And then when it started yeah. getting very difficult is, you know, when you started looking at uh, other destinations. So first we focused on East Africa because when you look at Kenya as a country, it's very small. You don't really need to fly cargo within Kenya, unlike in South Africa and other parts of Africa. So we said, okay, fine, let's fly to Entebbe. Big mistake. Let's fly to Dar es Salaam. Okay, that's, that was not a bad uh, choice. Let's fly to Mwanza. Let's fly to Kigali, which was also a very good choice. And, and obviously, at that time, we were not flying to Juba or Mogadishu because those were regions which were very high at, at risk. And they didn't even have equipment to offload the DC-9. So we were actually picking the easy ones. And that's really how we started our scheduled network. And that's when we realized that the fastest way to burn cash is to start up a scheduled network <laughs> because you're, you're, never <laughs> going, you're never going to be full on both directions. You're always going to have a situation where you're going to have some cargo to go to the destination. But when you're coming back, you're coming back empty. And that's when you start saying, oh my, I really wish we could get some charters. So what we really liked was a split of 70-30. So 70% is scheduled flights. And 30% is charters. But what is very interesting, Nick, is that the 30% of charters gives you makes you more money than the 70% of the scheduled flights. So that's really yeah. uh, sort of, you know, we had to make sure that uh, we had the availability, we had the agility, that when you got a charter, you would not say that, oh, I've got a scheduled flight and I have no availability. You have to have 
the ability to say, okay, fine, I'm going to delay my scheduled flight, but I'm going to go grab that charter. And that's really what we decided to do. But then we realized that we only have one aircraft, which is uh, one aircraft type, which is a DC-9, which can carry only 14 tons. So what happens if my client has only got five tons? What happens if my client has got 40 tons? So that's when we realized that we need to have a fleet which is diversified. So we acquired the Fokker 27 from a company in Europe called Farnair. They gave us a very good deal. So we had now the six-ton aircraft and then the 14-ton aircraft. And then we said, wait a minute, something is missing. And we decided that let's go for a 727, which can carry 22 tons. So the beautiful thing is that you've got a six-ton aircraft, which can take care of the smaller loads, and it can actually go into short and unpaved airfields. Then you've got the 14 tons aircraft, which is your narrow body freighter, which can do a lot of the flights between 12 to 14 tons. And then you've got the the big, big brother, the Boeing 727, when you've actually got a contract for 100 tons or 120 tons. There's no way you can use the Fokker or the DC-9 and then you use the 727. So we started realizing that our value proposition is our diversified fleet. Because when you look at everywhere around us, everybody only had one type of aircraft. They only had the Boeing 737 or the Boeing 747 or the MD-11. And then they would actually lose out when there is a a change in their volumes. So what we realized is that uh, we needed to do a couple of things which would give us an advantage, a value proposition. And that's when we realized that it's not where we fly which makes a difference. It's which aircraft types that we have in our fleet which actually makes a difference. And today we are perhaps the only airline in the world which actually has a fleet which is so diversified from the small Fokker 27 going to the DC-9, going to the 727, going right up to the 747. And also I really must mention at this stage is that we've also taken delivery of our first Boeing 767, which can carry 40 tons. So you can actually see that now our fleet is uh, fully diversified and uh, we have uh, a a variety of uh, aircrafts which can actually give us the ability to give different solutions to our clients. Now, it's a real pain to have all the different types of aircrafts, different types of crew, different different types of engineers uh, in your fleet. But unfortunately, that's our business model. So we have to actually make sure that, uh, for example, our crew have multiple ratings. So they, they are rated on oh, the wow. DC-9 and on the 727. We're also giving opportunity for our 727 crew to also get ratings of the 767. So at some point in time, we will actually have some level of uniformity. But what we really believe is that we need a very strong fleet to actually make sure that we can actually be able to meet all the requirements for the client because we do not believe in saying no. We do not believe in telling our clients, sorry, we don't have the right aircraft for you, so you have to go somewhere else. We believe that we are a one-stop shop in Africa. And if anybody needs a solution, they could be able to get it from Astral. When I've done my research in, into Astral, I, I thought there were three things that gave you an incredible value proposition. So first of all, like you mentioned, there's your range of aircraft. It gives us huge opportunity because when, when a small piece of cargo comes in, you can deal with it. When the big piece comes in, you can deal with it. But there's two other things that I think are really exciting, and maybe you can talk to them. Firstly, the the number of partnerships that you have. Um, I think it's just a sign of a strength as an airline to to 
be like, okay, well, we definitely can't make this work on our own, but there are other people that rely that need our help and we need their help. And in particular with the 747, um, maybe you can talk to that and behind the project. Sure. Uh, partnerships are very, very important, uh, Dick. And uh, we've had a number of very, very good partnerships which are still going very well. Uh, the first level of partnerships that we actually had was on the interline side where we made it a point to reach out to all the airlines that were flying to our Nairobi hub especially when you are starting the scheduled network, because the biggest problem you have in Nairobi is that there's not so much cargo from Nairobi. The cargo comes from outside. It comes from Europe. It comes from the Middle East. It comes from China. So any airline that flew to Nairobi became a customer, and we signed up an interline relationship with them, and we actually had a dedicated interline person who would actually manage those relationships. So some of the partners that we are working with on the airline side are still with us, for 20 years. And as we expand to other hubs like Johannesburg or in West Africa, they will continue to support us because they've realized one thing that Africa is a very large continent. It's not a country. So to fly to Africa, you need to have a product which enables you to reach many, many destinations through a hub. And that's where we were very lucky that we were at the right hub. We had the right level of partnerships and we were able to continue uh, in operating uh, flights for some of our clients. And, and that is a very important part of our business strategy. Uh, approximately uh, 10 to 15 years ago, we were doing a lot of business with a UK-based company called ANA Aviation, which were also the marketing agents for Dasair, which had the five DC-10s. Yeah. So when Dasair used to fly to our hub in Nairobi, uh, the guys from London would actually give us a little bit of cargo for Kigali, a little bit of cargo for Mojumbo, and they would tell us, okay, take it on your antidotes. So we were really excited because we were dealing with uh, Andy King and Andy Leslie, and, you know, they're such great people. When I used to go down to London, I used to make it a point to actually go and visit them, and they used to look at me, and they used to think, who is this Indian guy, you know, out of Nairobi <laughs> flying a bunch of antidotes? But it's okay, let's, 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 let's support them and let's give them cargo. And what actually happened was that the business relationship turned into a friendship. And that is a very important part of business that you have to be friends with everybody that you do business with so that when you have uh, problems, you can actually talk to them as a friend rather than as a business partner. And uh, the relationship eventually became one where they acquired a minority share in astral aviation because it was a relationship which was made in heaven. We've known each other for over 20 years. We've done business with each other. So when we were looking at strategic investors who could actually invest in our growth, uh, AD Aviation was the first choice. And it, it, it was so easy because we were not dealing with a company that we didn't know. And every, we, everybody knew each other and there was a level of comfort. So uh, approximately six years ago, the group acquired a minority stake in Astral Aviation. And with that came the two 747s. So initially we were leasing uh, the 747 from Atlas Air. And uh, we were the we were providing the the uh, the AOC support. We were actually signing responsible for managing the entire uh, 747 operations. And whereas uh, the ANA Aviation team in London, uh, which later changed its name to NAS, which is also very similar to Network Airline Services and NAS Aviation. So what actually happened was that their focus was on 
the commercial part, which is sales, and our focus was on the operations and to actually make sure that the entire uh, operation of the 747 with Atlas Air was, was being done with the right regulatory support. So as uh, we continued the journey, uh, we also appointed uh, Network Airline Services to be our global GSA. So that also became something that was very, very good for us because uh, today, uh, 50% of our cargo comes from the group and it becomes a lot more easier in terms of uh, being competitive in terms of looking at new markets. And till today, we have a very, very special bond of relationship with uh, the Network Airline Services Group and, and also a friendship with uh, Andy King, who is also my mentor. And he always travels to Kenya. We, every time we have a strategy meeting, the first person I would actually call would be Andy King because he's had about 35 years of experience in Africa, which goes back to the Dasair days and then with Astral. So he's seen it all. And then we look at Andy Leslie and his commercial skills. Uh, I mean, this is such a fantastic partnership. So what we've actually done over the years, our relationship has actually grown larger and we are actually doing more and more business with each other. And as we go ahead, we will still look at opportunities on, with the interest of the group rather than the interest of uh, the airline itself. I went back and I saw in the last 40 years, there's been 22 failed airlines in Kenya. And so yeah. again, I, I didn't even I, know I, that. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's and it's, it's it's interesting though because I think it's people don't give you enough credit for the fact that you've just been around for a long time, and I'm sure there's been lots of tough times, like you're saying, and um, you you brushed off it quite lightly, but the fact that when you in 2009 when the the civil aviation said that you couldn't have the Antonovs anymore, and you've just you've dealt with it and you've 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 built on and. And even now, and and as how it continues to develop is 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 incredible. In Europe, we don't have the cargo airlines you do in Africa. It'd be interesting just to talk about who your key customers and what what's the key freight that you are flying around. Sure. Uh, so we have, uh, I would say, uh, four different types of customers. Uh, the first one is uh, our interline partners who bring cargo from their network into our Nairobi hub for onward connection to the rest of Africa. And this is something that is a very strong part of our business philosophy to actually provide uh, customers with the opportunity of moving their cargo into Africa using a very simple interline relationship. So if somebody is in Brisbane and he has cargo to go to Kigali, he can actually be able to cut one airway bill uh, and bring the cargo all the way from Brisbane to Dubai, Dubai to Nairobi, uh, or let's say, for example, Emirates Airlines. And then when it arrives in Nairobi, we, we, we take the cargo over and take it to the last leg. So what happens is that for the customer in Brisbane, he only knows Emirates Airlines because he's got an Emirates airway bill, but he doesn't really know that Emirates is not flying to Kigali. It's actually flown by a very small airline in Africa called Astral. So that is the part which gave us the opportunity of actually uh, making sure that uh, Nairobi became the hub for us and also for all the airlines that we represent. The second thing that we actually did was we also formed very strong relationships with the freight forwarders. So uh, DHL is one of our largest partners, very grateful to the DHL Aviation team for their support. Uh, 
Uh, but also there are other parts of DHL which are also uh, supporting us, like the 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 freight forwarding part of DHL, the aid and relief part of DHL. So that, in addition to the other organizations like Quinn and Nagel, which is our perishable partner from Nairobi to Europe, we do a lot of uh, shipments for aid and relief through them. So we actually came up with very strong partnerships with our freight forwarders, and we also had dedicated people who are dealing with them. So we had to make sure that we provide them with a high level of service, which is what they require. And then the next part of our clientele is uh, the UN. Uh, we do a lot of direct contracts with the World Food Program, with WHO, uh, with UNICEF, both directly and also through their preferred charter brokers and freight forwarders. So they are a very, very big part of our business, especially during the period of COVID, where we were doing a lot of flights which were related to the COVID medical items, uh, such as PPEs, test kits, ventilators. We're very, very fortunate that uh, the same partners that we were doing uh, mining and project cargo, we actually were also supporting them during the part, during the times of the pandemic. And our last but not the least, as I mentioned before, our GSA side of the business is very strong. Uh, with the support of the Network Aviation Services Group, uh, they're actually in four continents. They have offices in approximately 30 different countries. So they act as our GSAs. But the GSA is not very effective if there is no opportunity for the GSA to send the cargo to Kenya. So what we've done is when we've actually signed our interline agreements, we've actually made sure that those agreements were bilateral, which meant that if I had cargo from Beijing, which had to go to Juba, I would actually negotiate with the interline partner that they would accept our airway bill in Beijing and bring it to Nairobi. So we were also keen to make sure that we're also promoting our airway bills so that the astral brand can be known in every part of the world. And this is something which was very important for us. And it's, it's really worked very well. And I think we are totally blessed. We've got some of the best clients. Those clients initially started off with business relationships, but now we have a strong bond of friendship. And it just becomes so much easier when you just make it a point to develop a friendship with every client that you're working with. The entire business outlook becomes totally different because now they will stand out for you. They will support you because it's not only about the relationship with the aviation company, but it's the relationship with, with me. And we know when, we, when I travel, we go out for drinks, we go out for meals, and, and we actually sort of, you know, uh, have actually become lifelong friends because the aviation industry is very small, Nick. There are very, very few people who are in there, and there's not too many new people coming in. So when you actually know somebody like, for example, I've known your parents uh, for a very long time, that that relationship is there forever. So that is some, the same thing that we did with Andy King and Andy Leslie and, and also with some of the other people. And uh, it just becomes easy because when you have a problem, you don't need to send an email. You just pick up the phone and you call them and you tell them, hey, Andy, I've got a problem. I've got an issue with my aircraft. I'm not going to be able to carry your cargo today. I'll be able to carry it in two days' time. So that becomes a lot easier. So I, I really believe that it's 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 very true in all relationships, whether it's a relationship between a, between a husband and a wife, between uh, parents and children. You need to make sure that the bond of friendship is there in every relationship that you have in life. That's very true. And actually, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about getting cargo from from everywhere, and particularly the GSAs, because I saw that you were flying quite a lot for Waitrose. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, through the partnership with Queen and Nagal and, and uh, the Flamingo Group, we've been very fortunate that a lot of the cargo that we carry from Nairobi into the UK ends up at the shelves of Waitrose Supermarket. Uh, and it's really funny, but uh, first we were flying into Manston Airport, which was in Kent. And unfortunately, you know what happened to Manston Airport? Uh, they decided to turn it into a, a, a property development project. And uh, so within a period of one month, we shifted from Manston to Stansted, which is also a really great airport, uh, you know. And uh, finally, we moved from Stansted to Doncaster Airport. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's again, uh, you know, we're dictated by what our client tells us. We cannot tell our client that, sorry, but, you know, we're only going to Stansted. Whether you like it or not, you have to come and pick up the cargo from there. If the client says, sorry, guys, you have to go to Doncaster, yes, we're ready to go to Doncaster. If after six months, the client tells us that we need to fly to Glasgow, yes, we will fly to Glasgow <laughs> because the client is the one who takes up the entire charter. And this is a relationship which, which goes back to, uh, you know, over eight years, you know, which was built by the Andes. So all we had to do is to actually make sure that we have a very, very fine operations that we do for them. And we just continue making sure that the flights are operating on time. We are confirming with the safety standards of the Civil Aviation Authority because these are uh, wet-leased aircrafts. Uh, we, do, we have uh, the relationship initially with Atlas and then now with Air Atlanta. And it's a relationship which is going stronger and stronger. Next time I go and buy my fiancé some flowers from Waitrose, I'll make sure to tell them that they flew on Astral. Absolutely. Make sure, make sure you take a photograph and you said that this came from Astral in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> if we if we look forward, I know you spoke about the seven six seven. So when 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 are those coming to the fleet, and and what are the, what are your plans for them? Uh, the seven six seven is uh, just come out of the paint shop last week. It looks beautiful with the astral colours, and uh, the aircraft is uh, leaving the United States just after Christmas because they've actually uh, got a number of uh, obligations uh, between now and then. So we expect to take delivery of the aircraft uh, by the end of the year. Uh, our crew have just uh, traveled to Addis Ababa to go for the simulator. And uh, we've also got a team uh, completing the final parts of the regulatory approval. So it's, it's a bit difficult because, you know, you're actually inducting a new aircraft in your fleet during the times of COVID. It's not yeah. easy at all. So oh, I can imagine. The first uh, 767 will start flying by around the 10th of January. And we expect to operate a number of charters for vaccines and also give it some uh, space to also do our scheduled flights. And we're expecting to take delivery of our second 767, which would be by around April. And we expect that we will then have two 767s flying for a greater part of 2021. <clears throat> we also have plans to acquire the 737-800, which is an aircraft which would allow us to phase out the DC-9 and the 727. Yeah, and uh, the seven three seven eight hundreds, uh, the values have started coming down. Uh, you've actually seen a twenty four percent drop in the residual value of the seven three seven eight hundred in the last three months, which is really fantastic. Yeah, and now I the, can imagine. <clears throat> and you know now the maxes are going to start flying. So a lot of the seven three seven eight hundreds which were flying instead of the maxes will now start uh, getting ready to be leased out. So I'm expecting that. By the first quarter of next year, the 737-800 values would have actually dropped by almost 50%. Yeah. And that's the time when we're going to now try and pick up uh, at least uh, two I agree with you completely. 
um, I've been doing quite a lot of analysis on the 800 because because it's it's an amazing aircraft compared to and and like you said it flits in with your fleet perfectly but also when you look at the landscape at the moment is obviously it's it's not a nice one but you've got people like Norwegian and Ryanair who aren't flying their aircraft at all and if for example you're a lessor leasing an aircraft to to Norwegian and not getting paid for it um why would you not reduce the residual and send it off somewhere because because it's needed and so i i agree with you completely and i think those residuals are going to continue to drop and also with all the max orders which have been postponed and airlines that don't exist anymore there's going to be a a huge surplus of those 800s oh absolutely this is a this is a time when we will be looking at them we're getting a number of very good offers and the good thing dick is that the Conversion cost for the 737-800 is almost the same as a 737-400. So yeah. it actually makes it a very good value proposition. So when I get the offers, I said, I'm not in a hurry. I'm still okay. Let's wait till next year. And I'm actually looking at uh, making some decisions around the period of the second quarter of next year uh, to look at the possibility of flying the 727s and the DC-9s right up until next year. And then starting 2022, with the 737-800s, which would be combined with the 767. And we will actually see a lot of opportunity for fleet integration, uh, crew being able to fly both aircraft types. And then finally, in 2023 is when we've got our eyes on the 777-300ERs, which we hope will replace the 747s. We're waiting for, uh, obviously, GCAS and uh, Kalita to get the first batch of aircrafts going. We, we hope to continue with the 747s right, right up until 2022. And then in 2023 onwards, depending on what is the situation with the 777s, and I'm sure it's going to be the same thing like the 737-800, yeah. you'll see a lot of 777-300s uh, getting uh, retired, uh, getting ready for cargo conversion. And I think they would actually make great aircrafts. So what we would be looking at is a fleet, which would be the 737-800, the 767-200, probably a couple of 300s, and the triple seven three hundred ers And that's when we will actually have some level of optimization of our crew resources, of our network resources. And it's really great because I can actually see this as a plan which would succeed. It would be successful, and we just have to make sure that we keep our focus and everything will actually happen at the right time and at the right place. So what we actually looking forward to is a great few years ahead of us. We're also investing in a lot of uh, projects which are relating to the infrastructure. We're looking at uh, sort of, you know, putting up uh, cargo warehouses in some of the airports that we want to fly to, like, for example, in Mozambique, where we see a lot of opportunity. We're also waiting for regulatory approval to set up a maintenance facility, because currently, a lot of our maintenance is actually done at the Kenya Airways hangar. Uh, we've already expressed our interest to set up our own hangar where we can actually be able to do our own maintenance. And, and that is something which is very important because uh, we have to be in control of our operations. We have to be in control of our maintenance. So we've actually already got our own AMO, but uh, just waiting for the approval to get uh, space at the airport. And part of the plans that we actually have for the future is also to set up an FBO at uh, the Nairobi airport. 
this is something we have always wanted to do, to do for a very long time, and we already have our partners in place. We were very lucky that we didn't get a, we didn't get it done last year or this year because you know, it would have actually been a very big setback. So we are expecting that we should look at the FBO business for some time in 2022 because we expect that the market would have recovered and uh, that would be the right time to have an FBO with a fleet of executive jets. But the one thing that really keeps me uh, hopeful and awake at night is our strategy for the drones. And we really believe that uh, it's actually going to overtake everything else that we are doing. And it's going to bring in a lot of disruption. Uh, And what we're going to do is try to be the only airline in the world which will actually be able to offer an end-to-end supply chain where the last part of the delivery would actually be done on a drone. And this is our ultimate uh, objective and our ultimate object, uh, uh, ambition. And this is this is amazing because I've finished this. I'm on now. I'm so excited to see how you progress because I believe so much in East Africa and most of Africa and the development of East Africa is incredible and and the west of africa is the the gdp is growing so much and as we know if the function of aviation is just a function of gdp growth so as gdp grows aviation grows so i'm so excited to see what you the opportunities that will come in and i think if we when hopefully we'll speak next year and and it'll be so different to what we're talking about it'll grow so quickly and the same with the drones like i think we could go into a whole nother podcast talking about drones and hopefully i can do that and I can speak with you and your absolutely. son because that would be oh, really absolutely. interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's and the amazing thing, Nick, is that I really enjoy what I do and that gives me so much satisfaction, so much pleasure because I'm, it's, it doesn't feel like, you know, that I'm actually going to work. I, I'm just so excited to wake up in the morning. I'm so eager to get to work. Uh, even, even during the pandemic, I was actually working throughout the period of time. And, and, you know, you've been trying to get hold of me and we've been trying to have our podcast during the office time. But it's just crazy because something or the other is happening. And that's when I said, no, we have to do this podcast on a Saturday because I know that there's nobody there to disturb me. And, and, <laughs> and, I really, I, and I'm really, really grateful. I'm, I'm so blessed. We've got uh, such a great team. Uh, you know, we've got great partners. We've got uh, a great uh, level of clients. And, and, and it's fun. I really enjoy it. And I don't really... Uh, complain that when I go on holiday that I have to do work because I, I just love it so much that even if I were to pick up a call or, or send an email, it just doesn't feel that I'm actually doing anything that I should not be doing. Yeah, and um, sorry for dragging you into the office on a Saturday. I don't know, I'm actually at home at the moment, Nick. Oh, brilliant. Well, I can hear the, so the birds chirping in the back. It's lovely. Yes, yes, I've got a nice uh, African parrot. Uh, I'm so sorry, I actually did realize that it was. Uh, no, 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 it's great. It was so it, it, great. It adds to the yes. ambience because it makes me yes. so jealous that you, you're you enjoying the warm weather and it's freezing here in England. Oh, absolutely. We are so lucky. It's a very beautiful Saturday. Uh, it's been raining quite a lot, but for some reason in the morning, the sun comes out. Uh, we've got sort of, you know, a great uh, day. I'm actually, I've moved into a new house about three years ago and I've actually converted uh, an office. I've got a very beautiful home office here with windows open and uh, I've got a nice library at the back of books that I've just not had a chance to read. <laughs> so I, I do a lot of my reading, uh, you know, when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm going to the office uh, because I've got a driver and I, 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 I sort of, you know, do a lot of reading. I'm uh, just trying to see if I can get a digital version of Barack Obama's new book. 
uh, and there are a couple of yeah. uh, very exciting uh, things. But I, I just have a problem because I just cannot finish, finish uh, a book that quickly. I, I, I just it takes me sometimes three months to complete it. So I've got books over here in the back which I've been saving up and collecting, but unfortunately never had a chance. The same thing happens with my uh, golf. Uh, I, I, I really want to try and get my handicap down, but I just never get a chance because there's always something or the other happening on the weekend that uh, I just said that, okay, fine, I'll probably take it up uh, as and make it a part of my wish list for 2021 to read more and to play more <laughs> golf and to spend more time with the family, but it just never happens. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, it's it's been amazing talking to you, Sanjeev, and thank you very much for your time. I don't want to obviously, I don't want to take more of your Saturday. So so thank you. That's been. Um, if anyone no, wants to no get learn more about astral or get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing this? Uh, I think my email would be easier, Nick. Uh, quite happy to share with you a lot of information. Uh, I, I take part in a lot of interviews. What I do is I, I tend to make notes. Uh, and there are some articles that are written about me. There's some podcasts, there's some webinars. Uh, I've done a number of uh, sort of you know podcasts, and I'm sure you must have seen the last one of the one that I had with my son Kush. Yeah. That was really exciting at a local radio yeah. radio uh, station. Uh, so again, if there's any particular part of the business which you'd like to reach out and just feel free to get in touch with me. I want to try and uh, introduce you to my son, Kush. Uh, he's uh, currently in uh, Saburu. Uh, he's actually taken a small break because he was actually in Ethiopia last month, uh, spraying a lot of pesticides on locusts uh, using his drones. So he did about 1,600 hectares in Ethiopia. And he was in a very remote location and he really enjoyed it. And they came back and they were so psyched up that, you know, we went and we killed a few billion locusts in Ethiopia. And now they're looking at Somalia and Kenya because they've seen a very unique opportunity there. So I'll try and set up some kind of an introduction. And hopefully when I come down to the UK next year, you'll get a chance to meet me in person. Thank you very much. And I, and I look forward Thank to you. meeting you in person. Thank you so much, Nick. You take care, stay safe and you keep too. well. You too. Bye then. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.